know that's a lot of work. First of the month, communion, first of the year, that's amazing. Well, I'm so grateful that you're here. Make sure that you see Pastor Lauren over here, wherever she just went. She was there. She's in the back. Now, she's going to be here, there, and everywhere. If you haven't got your giving report yet for 2023, if there's anything on there that needs to be adjusted, please let us know. And thank you for your generosity. Today on the website and the app, you'll see the message. You'll see those notes, as well as a detailed outline of our budget. So if that is of interest to you, please check it out. God was faithful this year. And I love what one pastor said. Uh, thank you for all the money. That's the good news. The bad news is it's all gone. We have to get more. How many know that's kind of how it works with your budget? Hey, man, I mean, we saved a little bit along the way, but hey, you know what? I'm glad that we got to give all that we got to give, and now we're looking forward towards the future. But this is definitely a moment of Selah to remember, to be grateful. And for those of you who are in times of struggle, we've been there before. My wife and I started the church in our house, our two-bedroom apartment. We understand what it's like to have little, and we understand what it's like to have much. Jesus is faithful in both seasons. So if you are looking at the church today, and you're like, man, I wish I had a great year. I wish I would have done that. I don't like how 2023 was. That's okay. Look at the losses. Take them as lessons. Start planting your seed to meet your need, and let's get back together in 2025 and see what God did. Amen? See, put a year's worth of work in and see what God will do. Oftentimes, we look at God as microwave, you know, in Burger King, our way, right away. He's a king, but he's not a Burger King. Amen? He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And we underestimate what faithfulness looks like year after year after year. How many of you have been in the same occupation, not maybe the same uh, uh, job or company, but have been doing the same occupation five years or more? How about 10 years or more? How, how about 20 years or more? Okay, come on. I'm one of the few people, right? Because I'm 46 years old. I've been doing this 20 years or more, and I'm still believing that 2024, I'm going to see what I've never seen before. Amen? So I don't know what they give out in your companies for the 20 year, you know, but I would have a little pin on my badge, you know, on my shirt or a little like Walmart. Maybe they have a little sticker there next to their name. But it's been 20 years of faithfulness and God has been fruitful every step of the way. What I would like to do now for the next couple of weeks, Lord willing, is teach you as a church why we do what we do. And this will be review for many of you who have been a part of our church for a while. And I hope that it also encourages you and inspires you because I'm going to put a twist on some of the things that you're familiar with with. And then if you've joined our church over the last year, we're really going to take some time to explain these banners and why we are the kind of church that we are, why we do what we do. Uh, oftentimes people uh, talk to me and they say, well, my church uh, could learn from you and do X, Y, and Z. And they pick out the things that they, uh, they think is the highlight or that which stands out. But what people don't understand is that it comes as a package. Somebody say a package. In other words, sometimes people say, well, I like your evangelism, or I, I like your discipleship, or I like the way that you guys, you know, you guys have spiritual gifts in the church, and, and they, you know, have different friends that come to me for different reasons. You know, sometimes people say, how do you guys do evangelism, or how do you do discipleship? And what I always like to share with them is it comes as a package. Everybody say, all together. In other words, we are a church that has multiple facets in the body of Christ that make the image that you see today. In other words, if you said to me, Joe, I like your hands. Those hands are amazing. Well, how many know my hands come with my arms? 
If I didn't have arms, I didn't have hands. I know this is obvious to you, but I have to say this in the church world because oftentimes people don't understand that. They just want to pick and choose the parts that they like. And, and I, I want to be very clear here. I don't think that we're the only ones, but I believe that we're the only one for the ones God has called. Well, it gets quiet when I talk like that. See, this is the complaint that sometimes people say when they get to, you know, be a part of a church like this is that they understand it's a high-demand church. Somebody say high-demand. Thank you, high-demand. In other words, you're just not going to sit back, be lazy, not do anything, and feel comfortable in a church like this. It comes with a demand placed on your faith. And if you don't want it, we freely bless you to go somewhere else. So in that way, uh, I'm very careful uh, to make sure that the high-demand is not for those who don't want it, but for those who want it. So, for example, if I go to a trainer today and I sign up for the program at Export or whatever gym I have chosen, how many know I'm signing up for high demand? They're going to demand a lot from me. When I start sweating, they're not going to stop. They're not going to say, okay, well, Joe's sweating now. Let's stop pushing him. How many know what I'm talking about? It's almost laughable to think like once they see me struggle, you think they're going to have me stop? No. Now, I don't know if anybody remembers this show, The Biggest Loser, but I used to love watching that. I used to love it because it reminded me of the work of a pastor. And in the show, The Biggest Loser, it was a competition. It was reality. It had all of that, you know, kind of trappings to it. But at the heart of it, what it was, was trainers teaching obese people how to lose weight. And so often, my wife and I, we would get free watching the show. We would have to pause it and rewind it, pause it and rewind it. Because the people that were obese and being challenged to lose weight would say the same things to their trainer that we would hear from people in the church. And we had to get free, you know, because somebody would, you know, be there, you know, three, four hundred pounds. And they would be in their 40s. And, and, and the trainer would be saying, okay, let's run our three miles. And they would be like, oh, I can't. And, and, and I, you know, I've never done that before. And they're like, listen, big boy, we know that you can. And, and you know, and, and it's high demand. And, and they would start to cry. And, and there's tears of pain and then there's tears of pity. How many know the difference? Can I hear an amen from some parents in this place? Every time you see my child cry, don't go run into them. <laughs> <laughs> especially these little ones, right? Don't go run. It's good to check on them. Don't get me wrong. Don't neglect them. But not every cry of my child is a hurt cry. Sometimes it's just a spoiled little brat didn't get their way cry. Can I just get an amen from any parent feeling free in the house today? You have to know the difference. And it would be, it would be freeing not to watch these people cry, not to watch them break down, not even to watch them puke sometimes. That, that, that wouldn't be the freeing part. I don't take pleasure in watching people suffer. That wouldn't bring pleasure. What would bring pleasure is as they broke through that barrier and then they would finish it at the end of the day. Because those trainers would say, well, we don't got anywhere to go. You know, maybe you pulled this at the gym you go to, but you're on our ranch right now, and you're here for the rest of the day. So if you got to walk, crawl, whatever, we got doctors on site. We'll make sure your limbs can take it. And if you make it right now, you're going to change. And you would just watch them. And maybe the sun would be setting, and they would be crossing that line. I'm telling you, tears would start coming down my face. I would get free because I would be like, that's what it's like to be a pastor. And it's not just a pastor. That's what it's like to be a parent. That's what it's like to be a leader. 
is you, is you push. Now, here's the thing. If you don't want to be pushed, if you don't want to be expected to grow, then you need to go to a place where you can go hide and be on a pew and be left alone, and that's okay. That's between you and God. I am not your judge in that way. The Bible says, to each man will be judged by his own master. Can I hear an amen to that? So, I mean, once you walk out those doors, you're no longer my responsibility. I wash my hands of that responsibility. And just like your trainer, if your trainer sees you at Dunkin' Donuts with a big donut in, there, in your mouth, your trainer's not going to say, get down and give me 50. Your trainer's just going to come by, get their snack, and just keep going. You're not their responsibility. But if you show up that week to the gym, they're going to ask you, okay, let me see your app with the calories. Did you log that donut that I saw you eating over there? Because you're about ready to burn it off right now. I was teaching my children that because it's, it's good to teach them at teenage years about calories and burning weight. I want them to have a healthy image. You know, we were at the gym the other day, and I came around them, and I started singing a song as we looked in the mirror. You are beautiful, no matter what they say. Words can't bring you down. <laughs> and then I'm like thinking to myself, the only one that they probably are mad at is me and the words I'm saying. But I just had to tell them, and people walking by looking at me like, I'm crazy, but I don't care. So I, but I have my daughters there, and, and you know, I'm just teaching them. Well, all of a sudden, one of them, I'm not going to say who, this week was just on their own because mom said, I, I don't have time to make lunch. Take care of yourself. Make some pasta if you want. Well, this one wanted to make fettuccine Alfredo. How many know fettuccine Alfredo got some calories in it? So I said to them, I said, when we go to the gym and we're on the elliptical and we're on the treadmill, how many calories do you think you burn there in a half hour? They said, oh, maybe 100 or so. I go, yeah, you're probably right, you know, about 100, 150, depending on, on your level of intensity. I said, how many calories do you think are in a serving of fettuccine Alfredo? We looked it up, and you can, it was the first thing that came up, 1,000 calories in fettuccine Alfredo. Why? Because it's almost all butter. How many know what I'm talking about? You see, if my daughter's going to be in my house, if my children are going to be with me, they're going to get pushed to understand things about their health. If you're going to be in this church that I pastor, you're, under, you're going to understand the repercussions of sin and be pushed to good health spiritually. Amen. So I said to her, I said, if that's something that you want, do you understand on the treadmill to burn that, you would have to be on the treadmill for six hours. So go back over there and make yourself a little quesadilla. Get some, you know, we have, we have uh, turkey, you know, ground turkey we get from Aldi's. One time they said, uh, uh, they came out on the news, Aldi's has horse meat in its, in its meat and all of that. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I never knew I liked horse. It didn't bother me. Some, some people stopped shopping at Aldi's. I was just like, mmm, mmm, be tasting good. All right. Just label it horse meat. I'm not turned off by it. You could probably charge a little extra, a little premium. In the, so anyways, we got the ground turkey. I'll get, go back to that. And I'll tell you what, it's the same thing in the church, is that if you don't want to know the truth, if you don't want to step on the scale, if you don't want to hear about your spiritual calories, then like I said, you got to go somewhere else and get that. Because here we're going to talk about spiritual calories. We're going to talk about sin and righteousness. We're going to talk about spiritual growth and spiritual deficits. We're, we're going to talk about going out and doing ministry and not just sitting on the pew. Can I hear an amen. Amen. So when you think about our church, obviously we have a name, Metro Praise International, the vision, loving God, loving people, the strategy, connect, mentor, send. 
the goal of 100,000 with 50 churches in Chicago, 500 around the world, and then something that you don't hear announced every week, which is on the banner, is that we're in Christ and that Jesus, the, the center there, is of all that we do. Everybody say, Jesus is at the center of it all. Amen. Now let's go to the next slide. I have some scriptures up here with you that I want to go over. You can turn in your Bibles with me now to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. I want to start this series off by giving you the importance of why you should have vision for your church. The vision that you have for your church is important because it's God's kingdom on earth. This is your home church. If it's not your home church, you need to find a good home church. But how many of you, this is your church? Amen. Other people, they go to their church, and they're doing what they're doing at the beginning of the year. So at the beginning of the year in this church, we're going to learn about why we're here, what's important to us, what we value. Now, as you do this, what I want you to do is to come into partnership with God for what is your job, your family, and your dreams. In other words, don't ask God to bless what's your own unless you bless what he's on. Don't ask God to bless your house unless you bless his house. Oh, come on, somebody. You better ask God to bless this house first before he blesses your house. And so what I want you to see is that this is a partnership. The only way that we could receive those finances is if we all came together and we gave our finances. I was able to give this year more than I had in years prior because of the testimonies and what I'm doing financially outside of my work for the church. And that blessed me because the church has given me so much over the years. It it just encouraged me that I was able to take on some side work and then be able to give back into the church. Can I hear an amen? I mean, everybody should be giving to their church because they believe in what it is. When you hear about the babies being saved and you hear about the ministry that's being done from the youth group to the children's ministry and all of them should be giving you their reports as well at how they have accomplished things King's Kids and Elevate and so forth you should be hearing reports from those leaders coming soon. What we are is a body. Not one person does it all but we can hear all take credit for it in the sense of receiving the blessing of it if you buy a stock in Tesla does that now mean you put on the tires to the cars? Does that now mean that you have to put in the battery and plug it in? No, what you have done is you have invested in that company, and by you having a stock of that company, you now receive the benefit of all that they do. Everybody say all that they do. Amen. And so when you're a part of a local church and you're dedicated to that church, somebody say A-L-L, all. Come on, you get all of what we do. You get a blessing. You get to participate with God. Now, if that's true in stock, how much more so in the kingdom of God, man? We've got to believe that we are not just coming to a club on Sunday. We are not just here to hear a motivational speech. I'm not even here to give a motivational speech. I'm here to partner with you to be a world changer, a history maker, and a roof breaker. Amen? Look at Proverbs 29, 18 in the King James. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Of course, so many churches bringing that up right now, and it's a good one. May we never forget it. In the middle of July, when life gets busy or whenever the pressures of life, let's remember this right now as we're starting off our year and every day through our year. If we don't have vision, we perish. How many before... Uh, you got saved and understood this, because I'm not going to ask you if you're like this now. I'm going to say before you were saved or before you understood this as a Christian, you didn't like your job. You didn't like going to work. Anybody just half, you know, heck, come on, raise half a hand. 
I know before I was a Christian, I didn't see my job with purpose. I didn't see what I did with vision. How many were in relationships before you were a Christian and didn't have a vision for that relationship? I mean, you were seeing something, but it wasn't long term. It was just, you know what I mean, a few moments in the sheets, if I can keep it PG. You didn't have a long-term vision. I remember breaking up with the girl because she wanted to make it official. We were boyfriend and girlfriend, and we had already done what married people were only supposed to do. And I broke up with her because of that. I had no vision. I was a sinner. And people wonder why they keep experiencing the same old, same old. It's because they keep doing the same old, same old things. And it even comes now to Christians in church. I don't want you to raise your hand, but be honest with you. How many have even come to this church or churches like a church like this and had no vision? You just came because maybe you were raised this way or you were obligated in some way because of your parents coming. And you just, tradition for whatever reason, you just sat here and didn't come in participation with the vision. Man, God forbid, that's not what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to find a church that you agree with in its vision and make that a purpose of why you're here and let that guide your steps and where you go throughout the week so that you can be in partnership with the church and be blessed to be a blessing. Be happy. Somebody say happy. Amen, happy. I know there's a lot of church people that are not happy. Some for legitimate reasons, and I call that church hurt. Others because they have weak feelings, and I call that butt hurt. Okay, there is a difference, and I don't want to make everybody out to be butthurt. I know there's real bad pastors out there. There's been churches that have used and abused people. But let's just make sure that we understand whether or not your church hurt or your butt hurt, you come to Jesus Christ and get all your healing in your hurts. You get healed. Somebody say healed. Amen. And if people could hurt you, God can use people to heal you. Amen. If people could hate you, God can use people to love you. If, God, if the devil used people to tear you down, God can use people to build you up. So get a vision. What is a vision? A vision is something that you see in your heart, in your spirit, when your earthly eyes cannot see it. When you can't see something directly in front of you in the natural, you need a vision to be able to believe in what you do not yet see. How many went to college and had a vision to graduate? And then one day you graduated. How many started something in your house, a project, and you had a vision to finish it? And now there's a porch. Now there's new flooring. I remember walking into my neighbor's house one day, and he had the whole floor tore up, man. And I looked at that, and all I saw was a mess. I go, man, this is your house. This looks like a construction site. And he's like, I'm replacing my floor. And I'm like, you can do that? I didn't, I mean, this guy's in, this guy works in advertising. I didn't know he could do that. He's like, I'm going to try. I'm like, have you ever done it before? And he's like, no. But what did he have? Somebody say it starts with a V, ends with an N. What did he have? He had vision. He must have watched some YouTube channel or something, and he figured out a way to do it and said, I believe it because I see it, and I'm going to do it. And guess what? About a few weeks later, I went over to that house, beautiful, beautiful flooring, as if a professional was there. This man had a vision. I didn't see it. All I saw was a mess. All I saw was an inconvenience. And now this man has the floor that I wish I had, but he had a vision. Somebody say vision. 
It comes in all shapes and sizes. Vision for your family, vision for your marriage, vision for your children, vision for your job, vision for your education. And then, of course, vision for your church, vision for your life group, vision for your outreach. What do you see today when you close your eyes? Or what do you see when you go to the places that you work and serve that are not yet there, but you see that they can be there? That's vision. Somebody say vision. Amen. Now look at Habakkuk 2, verses 2 and 3. The Lord replied, write down the revelation. Or in other words, write down the vision and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the vision or the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come. Somebody say, certainly come. Thank you. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the second part is you've got to write it down. God was giving the prophet Habakkuk a word about the restoration of the people of Israel in two different ways of understanding, one in their generation and one that we are now seeing today that started in the 1940s. You want to talk about a lingering vision. Generations have come and gone as Habakkuk's word has remained and even was a place of mockery for the Jews as people said, when will these prophecies come to pass? And yet we see in our generation that Israel has their land back. Amen. The Bible says you have to write it down so that others can read it. That's why we wrote down our vision. That's why you see it hanging from here. It's so funny. I, I, I don't know if I should tell you this, but I was ministering to some Muslims that have terroristic uh, 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 you know, tendencies. And you know what they said? I like your banner. Reminds us of ours. Anybody ever seen the ISIS banner? Black and white Arabic writing. <laughs> I know some of my apologetic brothers are a little scared. Like, why are they looking at it like that? But here's something that I got out of it because I'm not a terrorist. Come on, come on, somebody. Say amen to that. But, but, but I got something out of the black and white of this. I got something out of it. When you see something in black and white, there's no place for confusion. It is clear. Come on, somebody. There's no confusion, and it's clear, and guess what? It's easily understood. You see, they just have the wrong thing in the black and white. How many think this is the right thing? The cross of Jesus Christ. How many would like to see that waving over your area? Come on. How many would like to see that in the back of a pickup truck? Some boys in the back, you know. If I saw you running down the street with that, I'm not scared. I see you running down the street without Lockbar or whatever, all that. I'm, 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 you know, I'm careful to watch out what's happening next. See, the Bible says that you got to write down the vision. Even a terrorist organization, just think about that, understands you got to write it down. They understand that. But Christians just say, well, God knows my heart. No, God, yeah, that's right, God knows your heart. But that's not where he wants you to keep it. He wants you to speak it out and to write it down. As I said before, at an altar call, there was once people up praying, you know, believing God for vision to come to pass, like we're learning today. And the pastor kind of made everybody feel uncomfortable by going up to them and holding out the mic saying, well, what are you praying for? And the person said, nothing in particular. And the preacher said back, well, then that's just what you'll get from God, nothing in particular. You have to be able to write it down, put it into words. What are you believing God for in these areas of your life that are important to you? And then certainly, let's write down what's important to us for church. You just saw what's important to us for the next year. Brother, if you could please put up the, the slide again for our goals. If everybody participates and puts in their goals, we will far outachieve the goal that we just wrote right here. 
there's probably one of you that could possibly win 100 people to the Lord this year, and then that will change the goal to now 500. Are you guys tracking with me? If everybody wrote down their goals and said, this year, I would like to see five people saved, there's more than 100 of us right now, so then there's 500 in the church. Can I hear an amen? Brothers and sisters, we got to write it down. We have to believe it. How many do you want to see in the life group that you're attending? How many of you want to start a new life group this year? How many in the, the Youth Elevate group want to see teenagers come from various schools around here? How many? Where do we want to go with our children's ministry? How many new parents and single moms do we want to help and babies that we want to bring in off the abortion clinic side and see the moms get helped and supported? We already saved 30 and one's joined with us here on Sunday already. How many more do we want to do that with? God has given us these gifts and these talents, and we need to set out to make it happen. Can I hear an amen? So number one, get a vision. Number two, write it down. And then number three, make your plans. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the church going lead to profit. Is that what it says? No. The, the plans of those who can dream. No. Come on, somebody. Pay attention to the scripture. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent. The diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. The plans of the diligent. Well, I'm a dreamer. Well, you better get to being diligent. Well, I got all these things I want to do. Well, are you putting in plan and work to do it? Because just like my dad said, if you keep it as a dream, you'll never get it done and it will turn into a nightmare. It will come back to haunt you. But dreams can only become reality when you get up and go to work. How many have had dreams before? I've had God speak to me in dreams before. Well, that doesn't mean I go back to sleep and now believe I'm going to work and see it happen. Well, now I want to go back to sleep. No, I got to get up now and see those dreams come to pass. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So anything that has started from the visionary world, the spiritual world that you have written down, God is going to equip you in the natural world to get it done. Amen? I said, God will get it done. Come on, he will not give you something to tease you with it. I believe that God can get done 100,000 people. How many believe that? I believe God can bring 50 churches in this city. There's that many that claim Roman Catholicism. There's that many that claim Baptists. There's that many that claim whatever denomination. Why can't God do it for us? Why can't he give us what he has given others if we're faithful to do what they did? See, this is where I cannot now just hate on the Roman Catholics. They had to do something that I haven't yet done. They had to collaborate with their people, unify with their people, put up vision for their people to get all those buildings. How many know you can't drive too far without seeing a Catholic church? And you hardly ever see a Catholic church by itself. What do you also see? You see a gym. You'll see a place of living for the priest. You see all of these things that are there. That's awesome. I'm glad that's happening. Because at least it's the name of Christ, right? Can I hear an amen to that? But we got to do what they did if we want to see what they got. That means we have to go to work. That means we have to provide for our families and have enough extra to give to the church. We have to be able to put up schools and put up places that will help the community. We just can't sit back and say, well, I had a vision and I wrote it down. Okay, here it is, 100,000. Now, God, we're just waiting on you. No, we got to make plans. We have to go out and be diligent about those plans. Every day that you see me go out evangelizing, I'm putting in diligent work to see 100,000 souls be saved. I may not be able to do it all in one lifetime. Our children might have to take it over. I might have to pass the baton, but this is what I'm believing God for them to do. 
And it may happen even in my lifetime, and then God add to it and say, that was just the introduction, Joe. Let's go for a quarter meal. How many like to go for a quarter meal with Jesus? Amen. So these three things are very important as we go through our series. Number one, everybody say vision. Number two, say write it down. And number three, say diligent. You got to make plans and be diligent. Now let's go to this uh, name that we have and explain it in a way that maybe some of you haven't heard before that will encourage you. As you go to a local church like ours, you're going to notice there's a name. And that may sound strange, especially for new Christians who have come from Roman Catholic or traditional backgrounds, because everybody just knows them as Roman Catholics. Now, they still may say St. Viters and stuff, but they just consider themselves Roman Catholic. Or if you've been a part of a Baptist church, that's even a little bit easier, because maybe Baptist is in the name, Missionary Baptist or First Baptist. Well, when you go to a church like ours, you hear a name that represents a theme. So ours is Metro Praise International. We don't have in there our denomination or our affiliation. So then people ask, well, what is your denomination? What is your affiliation? So we're non-denominational, but then that doesn't mean anything now because how many know there's so many denominations that are non-denominational? They just become their own thing. So then we say we are Pentecostal in our non-denominationalism. And what non-denominational actually means is that you are not under a leadership outside of your church. So it doesn't mean that you don't believe in what other denominations believe. It just means that your chief uh, accountability is not outside of the church, it's within the church. And so what that is called is autonomous. So we are a local autonomous church. Now for some people that makes them feel uncomfortable because like I said, maybe they've been raised in bigger denominations nations, and they like that kind of accountability. Well, the problem with that is, is how do you then keep accountable those up in the higher organization? And that's why I chose non-denominationals because at one time when I was in a denomination, I didn't agree with everything that was happening up with the higher ups, and everybody was like, well, just deal with it. And I'm like, I don't want to just deal with it. Like, I don't agree with what they're doing. You know, they had a, a history of racism, and I don't think that they had uh, totally made up for it. And you got to remember, I was in the South, in New Orleans during that time. And yes, there were African Americans that I worked with that were a part of that denomination, but I still felt like there was a slight towards the African American, and I was working in the African American community. And in other words, I kind of felt like I was white Robin Hood, that they would give me money from the suburbs to go reach the poor black folk that they didn't want to reach, and then just neglect them on the other end of the ministry, and I didn't agree with that. I wanted to see African Americans represented in the church. I wanted to see there to be apologies for things that I had found out about their history. Can I hear an amen to that? So there's a, a little bit of a story that maybe some of you haven't heard, but that's, that's my personal conviction. Like I said, there are many people in that denomination in the South that have felt they have rectified and done certain things. And then when it came to how they did evangelism and discipleship, the people that I looked at as denominational leaders were not doing evangelism and discipleship. And to me, I think that's kind of important. How many think that's pretty important to Christianity? Like if you call yourself a leader and you're a Christian leader, you know, you're leading in the church and you're not doing evangelism and discipleship, how many know that's kind of weird? As the kids say, that's whack, you know? You all still say whack, right? I used to say kids back in my day said whack. You know, boomers say whack. You know, I'm kidding. Gen Xers say whack. But I mean, it's, it's, it's like you're a trainer. Like imagine going to the gym and the head trainer is overweight. You know, it's like I looked at it like you're not even doing what we're supposed to be doing. So then once again, I felt, well, there's got to be a better way. And then I looked at the Bible and I felt more comfortable having local government, local 
accountability. And that is how Metro Praise International is. And not only is within our church, but as others start churches, they are considered independent. So though Dallas is named after us, Metro Praise International, Dallas with Pastor Jared and the folks out there, they are an independent church, locally governed. In other words, at any point, if they want to leave us, they can. So I've given that, um, that freedom to others that I wanted myself when I was in that denomination because if something happens with the leader, you don't want to be held responsible for them when you have nothing to do with it. That's why when these things go down the way they do, everybody has to scramble. And then sadly, a lot of times they do these cover-ups and it only makes things worse. Let me just give one example. When Hillsong was going down with Brian Houston, all these churches had to start scrambling and figuring it all out and all these different things. And I just feel like if we're independent, then we can all stand on our own and be judged on our own independence and how we behave. Amen? Now, once again, the, the Bible does say there is a group judgment that will happen. You know, sometimes a Christian does something and everybody will be blamed for it, but just that's why I chose non-denominational. Now, when it comes to the name Metro Praise International, people have even asked me before, what is that? I mean, especially when I'm at the bank or I'm at places, because it doesn't even have the word church in it, and people just wonder, what is it? What is a Metro Praise? Uh, one person thought it was a gospel recording studio, you know? And it's cool because now we've made albums and different things, but that's what they, they thought it was. Let me share with you where I got it from. Everybody say, make it plain. Amen. If you open up your Bibles to Jeremiah 33, 9, God is speaking to Jeremiah and prophesying about a city that will come in the kingdom of God. It will be known as New Jerusalem. And this is how he describes it. He says, then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all what? nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. Everybody go, hmm. Maybe you didn't know that's where the name came from. It is on the website, but this is where the name came from of your church today. So the idea is, is that one day God is going to establish a perfect city, New Jerusalem. He's going to be the king ruling from that city. It's going to be a place of blessing and prosperity. I believe we'll rule and reign there with Christ for a thousand years. This is where you hear Jesus praying, uh, teaching us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're talking about. And so when I was praying about a name, in my early 20s, I liked the word metro as opposed to city. I liked the word praise because in all that we do, we should praise God. And over time, we added international to stand for the nations. Can I hear an amen for that? So that's the kind of church that you're a part of. Now, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So until the new Jerusalem comes and is literally here on the earth, the church, the body of Christ is the temple. So everybody point to where the temple is. It's in our hearts, right? And then the Bible says where two or three of us gather together, there is Christ in our midst. So Metro Praise International is a city of praise, giving honor and glory to God for the nations. And when Jesus Christ comes back, we will be prepared to live and dwell in that city. Are you going to be ready for that? Amen. Now I'd like to get to the message. Everybody say that was just the introduction. 
All right, let's get to the message on this last slide. I have 10 points I want to share with you when it comes to choosing Metro Praise as your church and the things that I want to ask you because these are the hard questions that I'm asking myself. They're in the heart, and they're also hard questions. They're heart, hard questions. They're things that get to the root of the matter. Number one, are you willing to love God and people with everything you have, everything on the inside of you? That's what a call to the church is. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The church is a place to exemplify this. And so when you attend a place like Metro Praise International, a place of praise for the nations, what we are assuming in your attendance here is that love is going to be the foundation of all that you do. So if we don't see love, we're going to see something wrong. Amen? Now, the Bible says that hidden love is not good, and open rebuke is better. So at times, rebukes will be a part of love. How many know that's true? And at the same time, the Bible says it's to a person's glory to overlook an offense. So there will also be times where it's not that we're ignoring you. We're just giving you grace and space. Everybody say both and. Thank you. So there will be love that will be shown in rebukes and corrections. There will also be love that will be shown in giving you grace and space. And then when it comes to how we love people, we have to be able to make sacrifices for them and go out of our way to serve them. We'll spend that time in the visionary time of loving God and people because we devote a whole message to that. But just think about the Good Samaritan for a moment and how much this inconvenienced him, but how it was never a burden to him because he loved people. Imagine you being on your commute in your car and you seeing a car that stopped. And there you go safely to investigate and you see that someone has been robbed and taken advantage of because maybe they had a flat tire or something in a bad neighborhood and now they're just laying next to their car. How many know that's going to be inconvenient to you now? What do you have to do? you got to call the police, right? You've got to call an ambulance, You've got to see how they're doing. Well, let's imagine they're, that they're not hurt enough to go to the ambulance. Maybe they've just been punched and knocked down, so they're not going to the hospital. But, th but they don't have any car keys or anything. Maybe they took their wallet and all of this. What are you going to do? Well, I know many of us in Chicago, we're street smart, and we deal with addicts. This is not dealing with an addict, even though we should be kind to addicts. But I'm talking about someone that doesn't have an addiction but is having a problem in that moment. How far would you go with that person? Would you take them to the house? Would you help them get gas? Would you stay there with them? You know, only reason why I differentiate between that and an addict is because oftentimes addicts take advantage of us, and you need to be careful with them. But the story of the Good Samaritan is somebody being a good person to someone they don't even know. And if you were to ask me what is the theme of the Good Samaritan, it's inconvenience. Because then what does it say he does? Not only does he now help him in the temporary, he then brings him to a place to get help. And he says, I'm going to come back and check on him. I'm looking at Daryl and others that work with the youth. Thank you for all that you do. And I'm thinking about all the extra effort that they put into ministry. This is what it means to love God and love people. My dad came out of the business world, and a part of what he did was financial planning, and that involves customers. But you know what he said is the number one word that he would mark ministry with, and the difference between him being in the business world and him being in the church serving is he said the word inconvenient. That's why I'm using it today, because there's something about ministry and loving God and people in the context of the church that will inconvenience you. But do you want to do it? 
as we prepare for our next year of now all of the outreaches and everything, we're going to do our best to give you the schedule of Lollapalooza. As a matter of fact, just look it up right now, Lollapalooza 2024. And let me just prepare, uh, prepare you for what's going to be happening in your life at that time. During Lollapalooza, your best friend's going to get married. Your job's going to call you to do overtime. You're going to have three graduations that you're going to have to attend. Your aunt is going to need you to do work around their house. And you're not going to be feeling well in your tummy beforehand. You now have to make the decision, I'm going you need to now put that in your calendar. It is blocked off. I'm going to go love over a million people in my city. See, that's church. Feeding the 5,000 wasn't convenient. How many know after three days being out there, the disciples are ready to go home? How many of you are about ready to go home right now and you've only been here an hour and a half? How many would like me to keep preaching till tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day? And then somewhere around that point, I say, well, I guess I might as well feed you. You mean you ain't fed us in three days? Yeah, that's the story of Jesus. You see, we think Jesus is concerned with our American comfort. Well, Joe, it's a little hot in here today. And, and Joe, it's a little cold in here. And trust me, we try to figure out that, 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 that uh, what is that, the porridge of that girl in that, that, that fairy tale? Goldilocks. We try to find that little Goldilocks. Just not too hot, not too cold. We try to find that for everybody in this church, you know. But, you know, we're, we're just so easily inconvenienced. Pastor, don't go too long. That's why I come to first service, Pastor, because I know second service, you don't have to stop. You just keep going and go. You don't think I know that from some of you? I know your tricks. Come on. And, and we, we, we think Jesus is, oh, well, Jesus would. I've actually had people tell me that. Well, Jesus wouldn't expect that. Jesus wouldn't do that. And I'm like, what Jesus are you reading? What Jesus are you learning about? Are you talking about Jesus who sells in lotes down the road? You talking about that Jesus? Are you talking about the Jesus of the Bible that literally told people to drop their jobs and come follow him and sleep on the sides of hills? What Jesus are you talking about? The, the Jesus over here that sells used cars on Cicero, Jesus? Or are you talking about the Jesus of the Bible that said, we're not leaving till I'm done saying everything I got to say. And it may take a few days. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I mean, I'm not saying that pastors have the right to dictate people's schedule like that. And in, and, and in all ways, we're always like Jesus, high demand in that way. But I'm just saying, do you trust the pastors, plural? Do you trust the leadership, plural? What if what really we felt God was doing something like that today? What if God spoke to all the leaders and we felt at peace about this? Man, we just need to keep going. We need to keep having service. Let's bring the second service. Let's keep praying. Let's keep laying hands on people. That, that's called revival. And, and in your real world, in the places that you enjoy, that's called OT. Yeah, let's keep going. We're in overtime. You know, oh, man, they made a three-hour movie. That's great. I can't wait to see it. But church does something different that's inconvenient. You know, we get, we get upset. See, do we really love God and people? That's the first thing. Are you willing to go all in for Jesus? Number two, are you committed to Jesus and his kingdom on earth, the church? The church is the kingdom of God on earth. I'm tired of people bad-mouthing the church all the time, honestly. I mean, I know there's church hurt, and there's people that have done things wrong in the church, and we should correct that. But we should not speak ill of the church because it's the bride of Christ. How many know my wife's not perfect? How many know that? It's okay to say amen. 
y'all getting just a little, little afraid of her right now. I just saw, like I lost the audience when I said that. Okay, you can say this in church. She won't hurt you. She's nice, Nancy. How many know she's not perfect? She's not perfect. But if you talk about her, how many know we're going to have some problems? <laughs> you get what I'm saying? I mean, that's a man and his wife. What man here wants other people talking about his wife? I mean, do we think Jesus is any different? Why do we think Jesus is cool with us talking about the church and, and, and giving our opinions and being rude and disrespectful towards leaders? We, that doesn't mean we have to put up with everything. That doesn't mean every church is for us. That's why there's local churches. That's why God sent out his disciples to all these different areas. I'm not saying you have to agree with everything even I do. I'm just saying, like, man, do you respect the church? Do you honor it? Do you believe that God is using it? Because let me tell you something. It will be here long after your company's here. It will be here long after your 401K is here. The church will still be here making a difference after we are all dead and gone. Can I hear an amen to that? I was listening the other day to a preacher talk about the history of the church. And, you know, and I always like to get into those things. And it just blessed me when I heard all the things that the church did. And I wasn't even there. So it's like, man, those are my ancestors. Those are my people. The Coptics, those are my people in Egypt. The Ethiopians, those are my people in Ethiopia. The people over there in the Middle East that are Christians throughout those nations that have been serving God, those are my people. The Christians right now in Nigeria, pray for them. They're suffering. Over 100 were killed this past weekend by terrorist Muslims. That can never let them be. Those are our people. That's the church. We need to bless it. We need to love it. Whatever mistakes have been done, let's just call that out. Let's say that's a mistake. You know, if my, if my wife brought some food, she likes to do that for the youth, and the food is wrong, let's just say the food is wrong. Maybe it's raw. Maybe it fell over. Maybe it wasn't done right. But we don't have to badmouth the wife. We don't have to badmouth the person. Can I hear an amen to that? Now, if she sins, it is sin. We'll call that out. The Bible says to do that, especially if she considers herself a leader, as she is here. But what we don't want to do is become nitpicky. And I'm not saying anybody's talking about my wife. I just use that as an example because I remember a preacher told me that a long time ago, and I've never forgot it. Man, people do Jesus' wife worse than they would do any of their friends' wives. Nobody would ever talk about a dude's wife that way, the way these guys uh, oftentimes talk about the church. The church is God's kingdom. And so the question is, are you committed to it? You and I got to be committed to it. I'm not trying to boast. I haven't gone through a lot like many of you have gone through things. But I know that I have put God's church first, even times when it was uncomfortable. I remember coming here. I, you know, I got my boot off. Hallelujah. And uh, I remember coming here when I first had to go through those things of, of taking the pain medicines. And you know what? I know it would have been easy just to say, look, man, I'm, I'm going to be coming off the surgery numbness. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm going to have to probably take pain meds. So, hey, guys, just preach for me. And I had that ready. And I know that I could do that. And nobody would have thought less of me. But, but somebody say committed. But you see, I know the dog in me. I know the lion in me. I know, the, I know who I am. I don't do that for things. That may be right for somebody, but that's not me. I fight to the end. I want to know I can't because I've tried a hundred times. I want to be looking at the car scene and wave around because I'm high on pain meds, and then I'll call it. Are you listening to me? I, I, I want to know that I can't. So on the way here, I took half of a pain med. 
And I said, okay, I'm all right. I'm all right. I mean, because they said that I could. It was the least of the ones, you know what I'm saying? And I got here, and I said, man, I feel okay. Well, I was playing it minute by minute because I'm committed to this. Also, I've heard pastors say, I'm taking vacation from the church. I heard a famous pastor say this. He said, we're going to have a cruise and have a ministry trip. And those are fun. Those are fine. We'd love to do that one day. How many would come on a Metro Praise to cruise? Amen. That would be fun. That would be fun. And, and so he said, because everybody needs a vacation from church. Right when he said that, you lost me there. What, what, who are you hanging out with now on the cruise? Sinners? I thought the church was on the cruise with you. And what, you're not going to make a day to worship the Lord now? You're all going to sleep in? It was for pastors, ministers. You're all going to sleep in now on Sunday and not have a, a, a church service? Man, sleep in on Saturday. Sleep in on Friday. But get up and go to church. Now, somebody may say, does it always have to be in the morning? No, we do that in honor of Christ rising and, and, you know, all of that. But the idea is for pastors to say, I need a break from church. Hold on, you've been doing church wrong. I need more of church. I don't mean churchy things. I get that we have a schedule and we need to keep it. And this church is really trying to be uh, cognizant of that as your life grows and things happen. We're always working with you. Okay, you can't volunteer like you used to. I mean, hopefully you feel love in this place when you have to make changes. I, I don't just want to love you on your good days and not be there on your days when you're struggling, okay? So hopefully the, the, the people receive you the same way when you got to make adjustments as the first day when you came and you were there 24 hours. Can I hear an Amen. I want every leader to hear me say that again. I want you to love the people just as much as you did the day they were there, seven days a week, 24 hours, as when they say they have to adjust to once a month or something. Amen. Now, if that ministry says that leader goes, that can't work, we need you once a week, then that's just between you and them. And don't take it personal because they're saying we can't function with a leader once a month. Some can, some can't, okay? Everybody say grace. You got to give them grace as well. You make choices and consequences come. So everybody understand that, okay? So, but be gracious with one another. But I hear people saying they need a break from the church. The Lord told me this. Not only do I not need a break from the church, but I can't travel. I can't be out of town unless I preach on the Sunday I'm gone. My wife had to endure with me through that. So we had to plan wherever we were vacationing and wherever we were doing, can Joe get to preach? Because that's how much I love the church. See, I'm the opposite of trying to get away from it. I'm trying to run to it. And just the other day, the Lord said to me, I release you from that. You can go and sit in another person's church. But this is what the Lord had told me. Somebody say, that's for him. See, the Lord told me to be committed. See, the Lord told me, don't tell them to preach for you yet. You might have to hobble up there. You might be on a little bit of pain meds, but I'll let you know if you've got to pull the car. And you see, God's going to speak to you like that. God's going to tell you what life groups to be a part of, what evangelism to do. How many believe God speaks? Amen. Let's go to number three, and then we'll conclude here. we got a lot to go through, but I don't want to overwhelm you in one service. Um, Lawrence, would you come to the keys, please? Open up your Bibles to Proverbs 3, verses 3 through 4. Somebody say faithful. I think this is a good place to stop for today. We have to be faithful, not only to the church, but to our family and to our calling. So I understand this works both ways. Sometimes you'll see people in the church... They're faithful to the church, but they're not faithful to their family. And then we get calls from people like that, like their husband or wife or, you know, various people. They're always at the church, and they don't do this and this around the house, and they don't do this. Okay, we get that. One does not trump the other. I could make an argument that the church comes first in one sense, but if you don't have a family, you won't really have a calling to fulfill in the church. Can I hear an amen? 
The idea is, what do we do in the church? We raise our families. And so if I'm always putting the church first, I can lose my family in that way. So I did put family first because before they were given the function of the laws, they were given their marital relationship. But understand this flow, faithful to family, faithful to church, faithful to your calling. You have to learn, as I have learned through the years, that the family functions best when I'm faithful to the church. Think about this. Just just put this in your mind for a minute. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed to pray, how much more so do we need to pray? Okay? If Jesus needed his brothers and sisters with him, and he said, come with me and tarry with me a while, how much more so do we? Come on now. Are we better than Jesus incarnated in the flesh? It's silly to even have those words come out my mouth. Am I better than Jesus? Of course not. Jesus, in his time of trials and tests, had his church with him, had his brothers and sisters with him. He was faithful. We oftentimes look at the, you know, the committed calling of leaving behind our family and friends to put the gospel first, but that leaving behind does not mean we neglect them. The Bible says who doesn't provide for their family is worse than an infidel. What it means to put God first, or as we've learned in the scriptures, to hate father and mother, what that means is to not let anyone take the first place of our heart. But as we have Christ in the right place, the family will always be there as our first and foremost obligation, family first, as others have said. The reason is, is because if you say you love God who you do not see, but neglect the brothers and sisters who you do see, how is the love of God really in you? If I say I love God, but I don't love my wife, then do I really love God? That's why I don't believe the monks and all of those people in the monasteries really were the best examples. I'm not saying that they were all all wrong. I'm just saying, like, that's not what we needed more of. We didn't need more people abandoning their families, moving to a mountain, and seeing how long they could be silent for. That's not real life. Everybody else has to talk. Everybody else has to get up and do things. Now, I know there's a time and a place to have a sabbatical or time alone with God. I'm not saying that you can't do that at a time and place. But if you notice, when Jesus came to earth, Jesus didn't live in a monastery. How many know Jesus didn't live like a monk? And he, he did choose virginity, and he did choose that of sexuality. That was because he's married spiritually to the church, because it doesn't mean he doesn't have a wife. It just doesn't mean that he has sex to have a wife. Amen. He has children, but he didn't make babies like how my wife and I make babies. Can I hear an amen? But he has the same relational intimacy, the same closeness with the bride, with the church, and with us as his children. Well, when you look at the life of Jesus, what do you see him doing? You see him going to the marketplace. You see him going to people's homes. You see him interacting with his, his brothers and his sisters. He's living everyday life. But guess what? He's faithful to each one of those components. He's faithful to his family. He's faithful to the brothers and sisters he has around him. And he's faithful to his calling. You look at Peter, he did the same thing. He, it even says that Peter brought his family along with him as he was out preaching. I love doing outreaches with you, and I see your children there. I know not every time it's going to be convenient for you to do that, but all of our outreaches are family-friendly. If they become unfamily-friendly, we'll let you know, okay? Because sometimes, I know it can be a little bit hard preaching the gospel. You know, it can get dangerous. We don't lie about that. We just had a preacher, I believe he was in Arizona, 
get shot and have to go to the emergency room because somebody shot him out there. But thank God he is recovering. Can I hear an amen? But we do keep our outreach as family friendly. But try to understand this, brothers and sisters. If you don't put God first and put God above everything else that you're doing, how do you expect God to bless what you care about in life? Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and onward. Please put it up there for me, brothers. Look at what it teaches us about being faithful to the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. The Bible talks about faithfulness. It says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them down on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Brothers and sisters, if I see you're struggling in your marriage, but you're always at church, I'm going to wonder, what are you getting from church? From the worship leader to the volunteer in the back, how can you say that you're putting God first and loving God and it not be right at home? You're supposed to be in harmony at home. And then young people, I know sometimes you come here and your parents don't come. It's the, the most discouraging thing for us to receive is a call from a parent telling us that their young person that comes to church is not obeying the rules. Why? Because now that makes us feel like the parent's going to think we're teaching them something crazy. Like, hey, don't listen to your mom. Your mom's a sinner on her way to hell. Listen to us like we're some type of cult. And we always have to put the moms or the parents' heart at ease and say, we do not teach whatever that is at home. We don't allow attitudes. We don't allow disrespect. Even if they're not Christians, the parents aren't Christian. We don't allow that. Can I hear an amen to that? It's discouraging to us. Not that we... Uh, you know, reprimand that child very, very hard. We want to be loving with that child. But, but listen, brothers and sisters, whether you're young or you're old, if you don't have a testimony of faithfulness outside of the church, what is the good of the faithfulness here? I had my dad explain it to me like this one time. He said, there must be a lot of nobodies in the church. And it is not what he said. He didn't say these words, but I'm going to tell you what it, how I heard it. He said, there must be a lot of nobodies in the church because everybody wants to be a somebody. Did you hear what I said? Because he went to a church where everybody was fighting to be the usher. Everybody was fighting to be on the stage. And he said, I don't think they have a lot of responsibility in their life because they come here and now they want the attention. Now they want to look like a leader. My dad said, I've already been a leader in the world. I come here to be a servant. So then by being a servant, if I become a leader, then that makes sense. But I don't need to fight for the position. I don't need to fight for the notoriety. I don't need the, the look of the religious world to, you know, the, to approve of me because I'm out there in the real world being approved. I'm out there in the real world making moves. Can I hear an amen to that? Brothers and sisters, so if you're up here and you're jumping and shouting and you're one of our best and we look at you like, man, you're amazing in the church, that amazing way you live for Jesus here should be amazing out there. You should be excelling in your schoolwork. If you're in school, you should be excelling on your job. You should be a person of, of integrity, a person of, of influence and dignity where you're at. And then on the flippity flop, somebody say the flippity flop. If all you're doing out there is making gains, but you're not being faithful to God in here, we ain't playing that either. My wife will tell you, the, man, first of all, you would be shocked. I could write a book called The Crazy Things People Have Told Me as a Pastor. Seriously, man, you know like how they used to have those kind of books in the bathroom? Everything that a man knows about a woman, you'd open it up, the whole thing would be blank. I saw that one time in my friend's bathroom. I'm like, man, I actually thought I was going to be able to read something here, learn about women. The whole book is blank. 
You know what I'm saying. What kind of book? I wish I could put that kind of book in your potty area right there. The thing, the crazy things I've heard as a pastor. My my wife and I, we were out at Fogarty Chow. This this gentleman is a successful businessman. He was attending our church during the time of COVID. We met a lot of nice people during that time. And he was kind and generous and, and took us out to a nice restaurant and was being just, you know, just over the top with us. But the moment we started talking about discipleship, he started getting offended. He said, man, I don't need to read a book anymore. I'm already successful. I've been to school. I have people read books for me. This is what he's telling me. How many know that's crazy to tell a pastor who bases his life on a book? How many know, I mean, I'll just be honest. How many know that's crazy talk? But he's literally, am I not lying? Am I lying, baby boo? This is the truth. My, we, my wife and I is like, jaw is dropping. Like, who do you think you are, dude? He said, I don't want to go to a Bible study. They're boring. I don't study anymore. I don't need to do that. I would love to have this guy visit us one day and just point him out. Be like, this is the dude who said it. Now own up to it. But I'm not going to call him out like that. I'll just talk about him when he's not here. Pray for me. I'm trying to give you a lesson by not being a gossip. Amen. Somebody's like, mm, you're still a gossip. No, it's a life lesson. Read your Bible. We're going to make a proverb out of you, one or the other, good one or bad one. And I said, brother, I get it. On your job, you have a lawyer for this. You have administrators for this. But this is your spiritual life. You have to read the Bible for yourself. You have to go to the Bible study. I'm like, man, you don't know it like you think you do. And then, like, when my wife and I are out like that, it's like tag team. So I said my stuff because I don't want my food to get cold. And then I'd hand it over to my wife, and she starts preaching, and I'm just listening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He got up, and this is what he said to us. He said, wow, that was like a root canal. That's what he just because we just kept digging and digging. Somebody say, that's my pastors. Yeah, we ain't going to let you slide like that. That's like you being out with a trainer, being obese, going, I don't need to work out. I'm just fine. You ever see that f- thousand pound sister thing? The two sisters, they're both a thousand pound. Like, <laughs> they got messed up teeth. They're always laughing and giggling. And they're like, I'm sorry. I'm losing it right now. I just got this picture. I almost want you to put it up right now. Put it up, thousand pound sisters. You got to put it up in closing. This is not to body shame. Love the skin you're in. You are precious in his sight. If anybody's dealing with this today. If, if you're big, there's just more to love. Amen. But you got to put these two sisters up. These are some of the most unintelligent people I've ever seen make it big. Okay. And people watch it because it's a train wreck. I mean, they're just, they're foolish, right? And we got to pray for them. Now I got to pray for them. Amen. Because I just can't talk about them on Sunday. But I'm, I'm getting to a point here. Imagine when you're sitting down with them, if you're a trainer, and them saying back to you, well, I don't need to work out. I'll just drink Diet Coke. All these things that I've heard them say to this one doctor. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, the Indian doctor? <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. Okay, this is for you guys, and we're getting the picture up for everybody else who doesn't know this uh, part here. You got to love the sound guys in the back. Let's give it up for the sound guys in the back making this happen. Here's another book. Here's a book they could write. Things my pastor asked me to look up on a Sunday. <laughs> those are like things like you would never imagine. Like, yes, those two. How many know that's these are the two that I was talking about right here? 
And they're just like, I just eat what I want, and I just, oh, I love fried chicken and this and that. And they're just sassy. How many know what I'm talking about? They're just sassy and rebellious towards the diet and all of that stuff. That's what I was looking at this guy spiritually telling me all this stuff. I'm literally looking at this guy going, dude, are you insane? You don't read? You don't want to go to a Bible study? Brothers and sisters, you're going to die a spiritual death that way. And then you're going to have to give an account because this body is one thing. The Bible says physical health is one thing. We're the temple of God, you know. That's one thing. But, man, your spiritual life is a whole nother thing. You're going to be held accountable for what you told a pastor and what you did in that life group. Going back to that slide, please. Brothers and sisters, are you faithful to your family, faithful to the church, faithful to your calling? And guess what? Everybody think about this. Where did that guy go after this church? Somewhere where nobody cared what he did, right? Where he didn't have to worry about that anymore. And I even remember him telling me that. Well, I got this other pastor in my life, and he's not like you. Well, good thing he's not like me. Uh, I mean, a good thing for you he's not like me because you met me now. You've got, the, you've got two sides of a coin. Maybe this guy's your nice, grace guy. I'm going to put you to work. You know, after the, you know, like uh, in those shows, The Biggest Loser, can't, you can't have the trainer with you every day. How many know there were friends back in the, the ranch? They would be nice to each other. But, dude, when you went back out, you needed a friend like that, the trainer. Both and. Everybody say both and. Okay, so you got a friend that's not like me. Well, thank God you got him, but you need someone like me now because you've been sitting here doing the same old, same old. What do you want to see happen in your family this year? Write it down. What do you want to see happen in the church? And in your calling, we've talked about that before. Where are you supposed to be? What ministry gifts does the Lord has for you, have for you? I, I thank God for the band, but there needs to be more band members up here. Many of you sit in the church and you have gifts, but you're not using them yet. I thank God for our youth ministry, but there's many more of you that can volunteer and be a part of that. Same thing with the children's. And every single one of you should be joining a life group and starting to share. You should start to take turns sharing and preparing messages to bless the people. That will encourage others. I remember when I was growing up and going to church, and I got to hear the body of Christ share their life and experiences. I was so happy that I got to hear each and every one. You might think to yourself, well, my, my story, my insight, my calling is not as good as that one or as big as that one. That's not how it works. The church is like a family. How many know you love grandma no matter what she looks like? How many know grandma's not a supermodel, but you love her? You know, sometimes I talk to these guys, man. I'll be honest with you, man. I, I had to humble some of these guys because they would, you know, I would get to know them. And I would say, let me ask you a question. Would you date anybody that was on the level of looks as your mom? Because the way you treat women is, oh, I only date a 10, but, but look at your mom. Your mom is not a 10. I know it takes a lot of boldness to do that, but I've done it. And it gets them to think. Because they treat women, they objectify them a different way. Like your mom's a five or a six on your scale in her, in her, in her, big, her best days. You get my point? But you put down those girls, and you only date nines and tens, but you love your mom. How would you like if your dad treated your mom like the way you treat these women? How many know that's a lesson? I'm telling you, man. I talked to one guy. I said I had three STD. I was telling my testimony. He said, I've had six. I said, you are a player, man. But understand this. It's the same way when we think about our calling. Well, I only deal with tens. I only deal with those who preach like Billy Graham. Man, God have mercy if you ever hear that from one of our leaders. Because I guarantee you they didn't start off as a ten. 
Come on, somebody. And so if you ever feel like you're being put down because you don't have the right gifts or the right way of presenting, please come talk to our pastors because something's wrong with our leaders. But I don't see that happening here. I honestly look at our leaders and I see them reaching out to you. I ask them all the time, hey, has so-and-so finally come? Oh, yeah, well, maybe they only came once, but they told, they told me they were going to come every week. Oh, has so-and-so taught in your Bible study? Oh, not yet. They said that they're still working on it. Has so-and-so opened up their home yet and, and let you guys split off? No, no, they're not ready. See, those are the kinds of things that I hear, and I'm trying to figure this out. Why in the world are people saying no, no, no all the time to God like that? I mean, I get you can't do everything, but you should be able to do something. When was the last time you taught a Bible study? When was the last time you went out evangelizing? When was the last time you gave until you got nervous when you wrote that check or gave that on the online? You know what I'm saying? When was the last time you were just faithful and stretched yourself? That's how we grow, brothers and sisters. Can I hear an amen? Would you stand up and bless the Lord today? Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. We're doing it all for you, Lord. Come on, somebody say, I'm doing it for you, Jesus. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? I want to do more this year for the Lord in this church. I want to see us get stretched. Band and altar workers, come on. They're going to be up here in closing. And if you need prayer for any of the things we talked about, or if you don't know Jesus yet, come talk to them. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that we get right with you today. If there's anybody here and you don't know and love Jesus with all your heart yet, repent of your sins today. Be born again. Or if you're already a Christian, but you've been holding back or backsliding or making compromises right now, ask the Lord to set you on fire. A few moments before we go can change your life. We'll dismiss in just a little bit. But before we go, examine your heart. And then the rest of us who are saved and sanctified, look at your life and see what areas is God calling you to this year. And write them down and make plans to be diligent. A few moments right now, God speak to us about loving you, loving people. Speak to us, oh Father God, about committing. And speak to us, oh Lord, about being faithful. Many proclaim their faithfulness, but a true man of God is hard to find, the Bible says. Many say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. That's why the gyms, they stay in business, because of all the people putting in money right now that won't come in the summer. Come on. Don't be a fair-weather friend of Jesus. Don't just come once a year and make a commitment and then forget about it and go back to just normal church attendance. Set yourself up this year for a year of success in God's best. A few moments right now, pray. If you're not saved, get saved. If you're backsliding, come back. If you need right now fresh vision, ask the Lord for it. Father, give it to us before we go. Burn it in our hearts. Help us in our prayer time this week to write it down, to share it with our friends and family. I know you're serious when you share it with the, at the life group or with somebody else because then they're going to hold you accountable to it. I want you to hold me accountable to what God's called me to do. A few moments before we go right now, Jesus, do it. This is a call, Lord. This is a call, Lord, that we should, we should take serious. Forgive us, O oh God, of our laziness. Forgive us, O oh Lord, of our compromise. Lord, help us to reach out to our friends and family a few moments. My daughter's going to her last volleyball game today. That was supposed to be yesterday. And uh, they're in the championship. They haven't lost a game. And long story short, I said to my daughter, make sure you make friends with every one of those girls. Get their numbers and invite them over to our gym so that we can keep ministering to them. Come on, I'm teaching my kids, even at this young age, you have to use your relationships to spread the gospel. 
A few more moments. Are you using your relationships to spread the gospel? Are you using your resources to make a difference in people's lives? We've got so many great places to go, things to do this year. But sometimes it's just as simple as looking at your coworkers, looking at your neighbors. Father, set us on fire so the world can watch us burn. May we change this world as you change us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. If you believe it, can I hear you say amen one more time? Saints, God bless you. Happy New Year.